on this podcast, often we talk about making sure that we are present with our family when we're with our family. And when we're at work, we're present at work. We're all in wherever we're at. Really having your mind clear in such a way allows you to truly be present. I'm Clint Hoops, and this is the Unrivaled Man Podcast. The Unrivaled Man is where we help businessmen like you be the unrivaled leader in their work and home. We're revealing the perspective you've been missing to upgrade your identity and become better husbands, fathers, family men, and business owners. Let's get started. Welcome to the Unrivaled Man Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I am very excited to introduce my guest for today. Tiago Forte is one of the world's foremost experts on productivity and has taught thousands of people around the world, including me, how timeless principles and the latest technology can revolutionize their productivity, creativity, and personal effectiveness. He has worked with organizations all over the world and has appeared in a variety of publications such as the New York Times, The Atlantic, and Harvard Business Review. Tiago, welcome to the Unrivaled Man podcast. Thank you, Clint. This is a, a real pleasure to be here. Well, Tiago, you have impacted the lives of so many people around the world with your building a second brain system. And, and really, that was the reason I wanted to have you on the show. I want my li listeners to be able to learn how this has impacted me and, and so many other people. But first, really, I would love for my listeners to learn a little bit more about you and your story and kind of how this all came to be. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how this all happened. Yeah, you know, you mentioned something before we started recording that I don't usually go back this far, but I think it's an important point. I do mention it in my book, which is I grew up in a family of artists. My dad is a, is a painter. He paints uh, acrylic with acrylic and oil, small paintings, large paintings with figures, still lifes, landscapes, abstract. He's a very prolific lifelong painter. And my mom is a musician. She's a singer and a guitarist, classical guitarist. And then I have three siblings come from a family of four. They all have different art forms that they do. And the way that this connects to building a second brain is it's, it's kind of funny. I was always the uncreative one. I was the black sheep. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, that's a lot of, th I mean, from painting in, in multiple mediums of art, including music. I mean, that's, that's a wonderful thing, but yeah, you kind of feel different. Yeah, I uh, my thing that I was known for was organizing. I like to organize stuff, which is not generally considered an artistic medium. <laughs> uh, I love Legos, and I, I have this whole story of just over years uh, as a kid trying to find the ultimate way to organize my Legos, which kind of foreshadowed what I do today. I thought, if I just organize these Legos in the perfect way, then my creativity will really be unleashed and it will just be seamless and frictionless and I'll have no challenges and no problems. So I tried all sorts of things. I tried organizing by color, by size, by function, by theme. You know, was it pirates? Was it the space pieces? Was it the ninjas? Like the different, you know, themes. And actually, I, I specifically, I have the story of wanting to create the ultimate spaceship. 
This was like my big dream as a kid. I watched Star Wars. Not just buying the kit, but like putting it together. Yes, I didn't didn't want to buy the kit. I thought I can do better than all these kits. And so I was going to combine, you know, a, a bunch of different kits and make this just epic spaceship. But then I thought, oh, but let me get myself organized first. And this is what I see people constantly doing with their big creative projects. I want to do X. Okay, let me first do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. They create this laundry list of supposed preliminary steps. And maybe some of those steps are necessary. Like if you want to paint a painting, you probably need paintbrushes. If you want to record a song, you probably need an instrument. But not all of those pre-steps are necessary. That spaceship sticks in my mind because I never even attempted it. I never got myself organized enough that I had the confidence to actually try, which kind of, to this day, somehow, I still kind of regret. I don't even know if I was capable. I don't even know if that was possible because I got so caught up in the, in the organizing. That's interesting. Yeah, my kids love doing Lego, and they build all the different Lego sets, and, and they love it. And it is fun. I mean, just last night, actually, we were trying to get all the kids to bed, and my four-year-old was sitting there in the corner with just this pile of Legos on this table. We have this table that's like dedicated to Legos. And so he was sitting there building just something. And I still know exactly what it was because he's still working on it or whatever. But he's over there building this. It's late at night. He's like, we got to go to bed. He's like, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. And so I just picture little Tiago doing the same thing. I'm building this. I'm going to make this happen. That's fun. Exactly. That was me. And then if, if anyone asked me, if my parents asked me, what are you working on? Oh, I'm, I'm building my Ultima spaceship. Basically, fast forward, I, I think what it actually was is I, most, when we think of artists and creatives, we usually think of people that are highly specialized to one medium, right? Like there's usually yeah, someone will be good at drawing. They'll kind of be placed into this category of like drawing or painting. They're good at music. They get placed in music or dance or poetry, or theater. It's like we have all these little, what are really silos. I mean, it's, it's fortunate to have a talent, but when you have that talent, you kind of get placed in this, in this little kind of box, which some people are fine with, and that's the best way for them to reach their potential. But for the rest of us, the rest of us who didn't have this singular talent from an early age, we are still creative, I think. We are still artistic, but we tend to work across mediums, right? Like a typical knowledge worker might work with text, in emails and reports they write, articles. They might work in imagery, a website they design, a graphic, a slide. They might work with speech, giving presentations, giving talks, even just speaking up during meetings. All these different kinds of content we have to work across. And I feel like a lot of what I'm doing is just my father and the way that he did his art is one of my prime sources of inspiration because I just ask, okay, well, what does an actual artist do? Let's get that practice, that tried into practice kind of tweak it, modernize it, bring it into software and the internet. And often it applies incredibly well to our work as creative knowledge workers. Honestly, that's how I found you originally is I was looking, you know, for years I had years ago, I don't even remember when I first read the book and I'm sure so many of your people come from David Allen and getting things done, that side of things, because David Allen really did some amazing things with his book, Getting Things Done. And so many of his methodologies really did help me early in my career get organized at work and do a few things. But in our world with all the technology and all of the, just really so much more content than really that book ever was, in my opinion, than that book was ever designed to handle is in front of us. 
I was feeling overwhelmed. How do I handle all of this at work, at home, personal life, hobbies, everything? I just couldn't find a way to organize things. And I started finding little videos of, of you and, and others that were talking about kind of your system. And I thought, well, second brain, that sounds kind of cool. You know, that's, that's kind of a cool idea. Like, I don't want to keep everything in this brain because it's getting muddled. And it's just funny how over time, you know, started learning the system and realized, okay, this is worthwhile. There's something here. That's exactly, I think, the need that this is serving is we are now professional content managers, right? The average person, the average modern human. You're right. We didn't used to have to think about this. Some executive producer at NBC would just do this for us, curate what they thought we needed to know. And then Walter Cronkite would get on. I don't really remember him, but I've, I've heard whatever the current newscaster is would just tell us what we need to know. We had these gatekeepers, these trusted authorities. Go down to the bookstore if you want to find a book and there's just whatever's being pushed at the time by the publishers of the time, that's what you find. Exactly. Choose from these three to five options and that was your that was your choice. Now it's an absolute free-for-all. A random blogger from the middle of nowhere can have the same reach as a major media organization. It's absolutely wild. And I think there's negative sides of that, like misinformation and stuff. And there's also good sides. Like the good side that I think we often miss is that it's now an even playing field. You can have access to any kind of perspective, any kind of idea that in the past you wouldn't have had access to. But that will only be a net positive for you if you have a system for buffering, for filtering that information storm. It's really like an information blizzard. You don't want to be walking out there in the middle of the snow naked in information terms. You need layers, you need boundaries and borders, and that's what a second brain is. So everyone out there listening right now, I remember the first time I heard this, I kind of thought, okay, all right, this is making a little bit of sense. I need somewhere else to put my information and to organize everything. And you might be thinking right now, okay, well, you know, I kind of have a way I organize things. I use my email to put things, I can just search my email, or I put things in this place or that place, and, and I think I know where most of it is. But if you're truly honest with yourself, the average person <laughs> does not have so many things in their life organized. Like for the other day, we're in the middle of actually building a house right now. If anybody's ever built a house or really anything at all, there are so many different pieces, different questions, different things you need to answer. It's absurd. You can't keep it all on top of your mind. You don't know where to organize. I'm receiving information by text information. I'm searching on the web for something. I'm getting emailed a quote, but from the same company, I might be receiving information three or four different ways. And then when I need to make a decision, I have to remember where it all is. And it was so funny. Once again, as I started getting introduced into this, I started realizing, okay, that is truly a pain point I have. I thought I was pretty organized. And as I started, and I started listening a little more, I realized, okay, there is so much more that I can gain from the information I have. So all of you listening out now, out there, I needed to say that little caveat, listen to this and start thinking about your own life. This can change your life in such a big way. So let's keep going. So you got to the point where you realized in your life, you needed to create something like this for yourself. I can remember a story, I believe that where you had began this whole process, right? Yes, it was a unexplained medical condition that just came out of the blue which was a pain and tension in my, in my throat, in my neck. Uh, I was 22 years old, in college, having the time of my life, San Diego State University, working at the Apple Store, which was kind of my first job and my dream job, selling computers, teaching people how to use computers. 
And I just was plunged into this world that I had no experience with and no interest in against my will, <laughs> which was the wonderful world of the U.S. medical system. <laughs> yes. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. I worked in healthcare for a good 13 years or so before doing some of the things I'm doing. So I feel your pain having worked within that world. <laughs> it's awful. It's truly awful. It's, it's like right at the moment that you are at your weakest, right at the moment that you're suffering and you're, you're not at your full capacity, right at that moment, they unload upon you an incredible amount of highly complex, detailed, sensitive information and paperwork that you are totally unequipped to handle and you have to handle it. They have no other option either. They have to give you the information because you need it now. And that's, oh, it's a hard thing for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, you take in all this advice. You know, sometimes a doctor will just casually mention, oh, just why don't you try this? Okay. Well, just knowing that, just hearing that advice is, that makes no impact whatsoever. You have to take in the, that advice, interpret it. Then you have to just reflect on it, write it down, decide how it's going to be applied, then apply it, then track the results of it. It's like running a scientific experiment. It's like a randomized control trial of one every time any doctor, and I saw probably over a dozen doctors over several years, told me anything. It's an absolutely insane amount of information and detail to keep track of. And so that's what the second brain was in the beginning. It was just a, it was my own personal patient record system. And I used it for nothing except my medical information. And it worked. So to cut a very long story short, what I eventually discovered was it wasn't like an illness or an infection. There wasn't like a pill I could take or a surgery that I could do. It was what's called a functional condition. It was a something going wrong in how my body worked. And ultimately through taking notes and just noticing patterns and correlations, oh, if I eat differently this way, I feel differently this way. If I exercise, if I meditate, if I avoid these foods or avoid, you know, have better posture, all these little things, each one of which was not this like silver bullet, but basically, to summarize all this, I learned the importance of self-care. As a 22-year-old dude, I d had no conception of, oh, I have to take care of myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I ultimately found a resolution that, that honestly no doctor could have told me because I am the only one that can look at my holistic life picture and see the totality. No doctor is going to do that for me. And that's really the segue here to all of this is that's true in all parts of our lives, right? No magic fairy is going to come and tap all of the knowledge and organize everything that we get bombarded with every day and just organize it for us. Even if they could organize it for you, it wouldn't work in the end. That's the craziest thing. I remember one time I thought somebody should come up with a business where they come in and they just organize all of your digital files. They just organize everything and they go through and just make it so it's just a perfect system. And then after I thought about it a little longer, I thought it wouldn't work. It would be destroyed immediately after, like it's the creation of the system where you get the buy-in and you actually figure out how it works for your life. So you segued obviously, right? In a big way from taking just your healthcare into your own hands and seeing patterns and changing your life to gathering more information in your life. Yeah, exactly. It was such a slow, gradual evolution over many years, but I just realized, wait a minute, this approach, this system that I'd created, it wasn't strictly for medical information. It was a general purpose note-taking system. There was no reason I couldn't use it for all sorts of things. 
And so I did. I used it to, to study abroad and to manage all the, you know, finding housing, figuring out all the different things I had to figure out to study abroad in Brazil and then Colombia. I used it to teach English. In those two countries, I, I worked as an English teacher at local schools. And then that's a whole other domain, lesson planning, keeping track of exercises and vocabulary words and homework and grades and all these things. And then it just kept expanding. I think, I think what was happening is it's like my confidence and my agency was increasing alongside this system that I was using, where it just started being applied to more and more areas of my life uh, until eventually I used it to get a job, my first kind of professional job for a consulting firm in San Francisco. And then a couple of years later, use it to start a blog. Many people started a blog, but then you're like, what do I write about? Well, I looked over here and I had at this point several thousand notes that I had said on things I'd read in books, things I'd read in seminars and classes. Like at that time I was maybe 27 or something, very young. You don't think you have much life experience, but if you've written stuff down, 27 years is a long time. You do have life experience, at least life experience that might be interesting to people your own age or people a bit younger than you. And then eventually I use it to start a business, use it to launch a course. And now my second brain is just my second brain. It's unless something has to be done by my first brain, like it actually matters to my first brain, by default at this point, it goes into my second brain and I just don't even worry about it. That's a big one. I'm going to focus on what you just said. You said after it goes, if you determined, you made the decision, it doesn't need to be in your first brain, which basically means on your mind, right? I always think of it from a computer standpoint. It's like if something is actively being used by the RAM or the processor, like right now, it is slowing down the system. It is slowing down the computer in some way, even if it's small. All of these things that are just hanging out in our mind have to be put in a trusted system, right? And that's what I love is being able to put it there. And really what happened to me is I used to do things in a similar way where I would try and like remember things. I'd like write on a sticky note. And I still do this on occasion if it's something that's like I really want to know like now to try and remember something. And then before I know it, I have 30 sticky notes. It's like, well, that's not doing anything. My brain is still going to keep thinking about it because it's not in a, in a good place. So take us through a little bit more. Your second brain is a place where you can get it out of your mind and know that it's safe. Yeah, it's, it's really worth asking yourself, what is worth worrying about? What do you want to worry about? Probably very little. There's very few things in, in life that actually get better when you worry about them. <laughs> You know, this is something that's so pervasive in our culture. I notice it everywhere. It's this invisible background assumption that you can remember everything, that you should remember everything. And if you don't remember something, it's bad. Like think about every time someone says, oh, keep this in mind. We toss out that sentence as if it's nothing. And every time someone says that, I go, I don't always say this, but I think to myself, what do you mean keep this in mind? What are you really asking me to do? Memorize it? ruminate on it endlessly and until the next time that we see each other like no i'm not going to keep it in mind i'm smart enough to know this is a david allen idea i'm smart enough to know how bad my memory is i'm smart enough to know that most of the time i'm not very smart so if i truly want to remember something i have to not even try to remember it i have to write it down and that's profound we don't think that Generally, we think we have to know it. We have to know it offhand. We have to know it now. But why? If you can find it in a matter of seconds, why? I don't understand. It's like I said, it's pervasive. People say, oh, remember to always do this. 
like in the case of, you know, habits or routines or best practices. Well, how? Or they go always do something, something, or never do something, something. I mean, just how in the world is any of this going to happen? As humans, there is nothing that we are naturally worse at than consistency. We are the opposite of consistency. We are like little hummingbirds. We never rest. We never put our little feet down on a branch, hardly. We just flutter and flit around, tension span of 0.1 seconds. We're always just moving from one thing to the next, going up, going down, going around, buzzing around. That's kind of how I think of our minds. And honestly, I'm fine with it. I'm not going to try to change the way my biological mind works when I can just complement it with this system of technology. So we've been talking a little bit about building a second brain is a course that I took. When was the first time you did the course? I was in cohort 14 earlier this year. So how many years have you been doing that course? It's been almost six years. And I'm telling you, it was an incredible experience going through that course. And I highly recommend that to anybody listening that wants to go deep on this. It was, it was an incredible experience to go so deep on these things. And for many years, that has been the only way to get this information. And Tiago, I know for quite a while, has been working on a new book and has just released the Building a Second Brain book, which I actually have, have right here for anybody looking on YouTube. You can see the book right here. Beautiful book. Wonderfully concise, yet gives you the depth that you need to be able to begin your path on this. So why a book? Why write a book instead of just continuing on with the course? Yeah, good question. We're still teaching the course. That's our, our main service product that we offer as a business. We'll still do that, absolutely. And actually, we have some big plans for it that we'll be announcing soon. But you know, the mission of this business has always been to enable anyone in the world to build a second brain, anyone which when you really sit with what anyone means, which I've been doing lately, the implications of that are pretty radical, right? Like anyone is not just elite tech knowledge workers in major urban centers in North America. <laughs> it's not just knowledge workers. It's not just tech workers. It's not just professionals. It's not just highly paid people. It's everyone. What that means is seeking the broadest possible distribution and translating these ideas, which like you said, up until now, you know, these ideas have been around for years. None of them are new. They've been around in Silicon Valley, going back to Doug Engelbart, Vannevar Bush, back to this, the 60s, the 70s. We've known about the power of knowledge management for many decades. And note-taking itself goes back even much further, back to the Enlightenment, the Renaissance. I mean, the word commonplace, as in commonplace book, comes from the ancient Greeks, right? Like there's nothing new under the sun. But what I'm trying to do is sort of boil it down to a just simple daily habit, like a daily practice, like brushing your teeth, balancing your budgets, doing laundry, right? So people who aren't obsessed with this, like you and me, can just adopt a simple set of practices that just have a dramatic impact on their life. And of course, that means also it needs to be in the formats and the languages that they understand. So I went with traditional publishing got everything from five years of teaching the course and boil it down into, like you said, a, just a very simple, straightforward book, which at this point, I think we have over 15 international publishing deals. So as of now, it'll be translated into at least 15 languages available in every little bookstore and airport and train station. And I mean, I'm seeing you pop up on all the bestseller lists and everything lately. It's been a lot of fun to see that. It's, it's truly going out to the world. It's amazing. That's what we're trying to do. Democratize the practice 
of personal knowledge management so that anyone who wants to, that's the part we can't do for you, is the interest, the desire. Anyone who has the, the motivation, we want to offer something for them. That's excellent. So let's get down a little bit more, just a little more granular so that people can kind of visualize, okay, so what does this mean? We know we need to keep some of this information that we have in our lives organized in a, in a way, but once again, what are some of the more common ways? Like, what does this look like? Yeah, you mean like examples of how people use a second brain? Yeah, maybe an example of where you might keep your second brain. Just kind of a, you know, just as somebody who just kind of looking at a high level thing, where would they keep their second brain? We talk about, you know, using technology to leverage this. What do you recommend? There's a couple things. There's a whole category now of second brain apps. I didn't even coin that term. I didn't even coin second brain actually, but I've started seeing people say second brain apps as a software category. And that includes the OG, which is a platform that I use, which is Evernote. Evernote launched back in the mid 2000s was the first mainstream software that did this, right? This idea that it's a place to keep information, not just for one project or one class, but for a lifetime of learning and a lifetime of productivity. Their mission to do that, it was what inspired me. But that starting point, that one app has now blossomed into, there's apps like Notion, which is kind of the current trendy up and coming one. There is this new category of what's called networked note-taking, which is apps like Rome and Obsidian and LogSeq are the three biggest ones. So now there's not one option, there's many options. And it depends actually on your personality and your temperament and your goals. I have the most popular series on my YouTube channel is a four-part series where I basically take you through a personality test. And I tell you, based on certain criteria, whether you are, there's four archetypes. You are an architect, a gardener, a librarian, or a student. And once you know which archetype you are, I can recommend one or two note-taking apps for you. So I encourage people to go check that out. I love that. And if you're kind of a nerd like me, I had to try them all, obviously, because I'm like a little bit of FOMO going on. It's like, well, I can't miss out on having the best one. And spoiler alert for me, I went through all the different ones and, and actually ended up at Evernote, which I had used for years already. And so it was like, you know, I know how it works. I trust it. Let's do this. And, and it's been an incredible thing for me. And I've toyed around a little bit still with Obsidian and things and linking ideas. And it's been kind of fun. So any of you that want to go deeper, I'll put a few links in the show notes to some places where you can go a, a little deeper with Tiago on, on some of these things, because you really can go so deep on some of these, but you don't have to go that deep to get the benefit. That's the one thing. I know some people listening might be thinking, oh man, this sounds like Greek to me. I don't know all of these apps, all of these things. In that case, start with something simple. And in my opinion, that's what helped with somebody I was talking to. I'm like, just don't worry about going so deep, check out the book and just start. And if you want to keep going deeper, go deeper and you can. That's the other thing I was going to advise people is if any of this seems overwhelming, challenging, too much, too complicated, it probably is. For you and your life situation, what you're trying to achieve, the time you have available, right? And so I actually advise you to start with the default notes app on your phone. We live in this amazing time. We all carry with us a device pretty much 24-7. That device is a multimedia capture monster. It can capture text, photographs, it can download things from the web, it can transmit things to others. There's more computing power in that smartphone than like the entire US government had in like 1980 or something. And very likely it already has at this very moment that you're listening to this, 
a notes app of some kind. It's probably a very simple one, which is what you want anyway. Start there. You don't have to download or pay for one single thing. Just try, in fact, part of this series that I have is like a little experiment that I have people run, which is a 30-day note-taking experiment. So I went back and analyzed my second brain. Over more than 10 years of doing this, my average number of notes that I take is two notes per day. And a note is small. A note can be one quote, one image, one web bookmark. It's not like a giant document. It's one little snippet. Two per day. Right now, the day you're listening to this, did you learn two things today? Did you hear two interesting ideas? Did you create two interesting little pieces of work or do two interesting kinds of thinking? If you did, you've already done 99% of the work, just save those in your default notes app, Apple Notes, Android Notes. After a month, you'll have 30 to 60 concrete building blocks of your best thinking, which means you never have to do that thinking again. You're starting to build like a knowledge treasury, like a knowledge library where all your ideas that you've acquired, that you've learned are stored. And over time, like think about a year. In a year, you'll have what, 700? 700 Legos. What could you build out of 700 Legos and the equivalent of that for your life and your work? You know, that was one of the most pivotal aha moments that I had as I began learning about this was this very philosophy. Use the information the notes you have as building blocks. I found that so many of the things I did in my work and my personal life were just repetition of something that I've done before. So similar. I'm writing an email and the email just, it's almost like I'm just writing the same thing again, just changing the names basically in some of the things I'm doing. And I'll be creating a document for someone. And all of a sudden I realized, wait a sec, I've, I've created something like this before. And once you have everything organized in a good enough way or put it in such a way that you can find it when you need it, that's the biggest, where you don't have to spend more time trying to find it. And then all of a sudden I start finding, wow, I can piece these little blocks together and save myself so much time in my work and in my personal life. It's such a transformative shift, that one right there. We are not taught this. In fact, we are taught that it is virtuous, like we were saying, to memorize things and also to recreate them again and again and again and again. That's what we're explicitly taught to do. Make you think it's cheating almost to reuse something, right? It feels like cheating. I mean, in school it is. You can't open up your notes. Yes, in school. You can't take out your answers to the last test and like use those as a crib sheet for the new test. But in the professional world, in the adult world, you're not going to gain leverage. I think that's basically what this is about. Leverage is about having better and better results while doing less and less work. As parents, you really learn how crucial this is because the trajectory of how much time and energy you have over your lifetime goes down. <laughs> It is not going to, going to go up, and it's not even going to stay the same, and it precipitously declines. <laughs> and yet we have this uh, really a superpower that we don't even know about, right, that we don't leverage, that's within our grasp to be able to reuse some of these things and to free our mind so that we can be present in the things that matter most. On this podcast, often we talk about making sure that we are present with our family when we're with our family, and when we're at work, we're present at work. We're all in wherever we're at. Really having your mind clear in such a way as this allows you to truly be present. I mean, how many of us sit there with our kids and you're sitting there and you come home from work and the kids are sitting there on the ground. I'm going to use Legos because that's what we've been talking about already, but they're playing with Legos on the ground or they're throwing a ball, whatever it might be. And you show up and you might greet them and say, Hey, how's it? And you and act like you're going to start playing with them. 
And within moments, your mind starts just instantly turning back to work. You're mentally back at work. Of all the things that you haven't gotten done, all the things that still need to be there, or maybe it's something at your home and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to fix that thing or call that person or whatever it might be, but it's on your mind and takes you away. The reason productivity matters, the reason systems matter and personal knowledge management matters is ultimately, it's like, how do you cash that out? Those savings, that efficiency, you can cash it out with more work. And there was a period that I did that. I was working eight-hour days but getting 16 hours done because of these systems and these methods. But when our, when our son was born, October of 2020, I just saw so much changed. But I saw how just critically important the time, not just the quantity of time, but the quality of time was going to be for basically the rest of my life and his. <laughs> just as one example, I made the decision I was going to finish work every day by 2 o'clock, which sounds absurd. Right? If you're used to having to spend X units of your time, you can't just reduce by 30 or 40% how much time you're working, right? Because then your income will go down by 30 or 40%. Your output will go down by 30 or 40%. But I think, you know, looking back on my medical condition, even, I'm grateful for it now because it forced me to learn a lesson very young, which is to decouple the results that I'm trying to produce from my raw physical effort. I couldn't do it because of what was happening with my body and my health. And having learned that lesson that it is not my job to do work, it is my job to create systems to do the work, which means I can work more or can work less or I can even take days off. Those systems continue to operate. They continue to produce value. They continue to make my knowledge available to others, which is ultimately what we do as knowledge workers, even if I'm not personally there sitting at my desk writing emails and doing Zoom calls and different things. That's profound because so many people, they might be thinking, well, I don't own my company. I work in an organization. I have certain expectations. And I think as they go a little deeper, like you said, they can find places within their jobs where they can uncouple the result from the time spent and begin to actually leverage those things a little more at work. But then once again, other parts of their lives as well, because save time is save time. Save mental energy is save mental energy, no matter what part of your life it's in. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been self-employed 10 years and only two of those have I had employees. And actually, funny enough, I had to learn this and master it before I could hire, right? A lot of people think, I mean, you, you've probably, you have experience with this too, but people think, oh, I'm going to hire someone. They're going to come in and just fix all my problems. No, 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 no. <laughs> they're just going to amplify the problems. <laughs> yes. Isn't that what they say is, is a system or, you know, if you have a system and a poor system, when you add extra volume to it is going to break, right? So it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to learn how to use other kinds of systems. I mean, when I say systems, something as simple as a blog, you might not see yourself as a blogger or a content creator or a writer, but just, I, I have this exercise I have people do called FAQ, frequent, frequently asked question, which is what is the question people ask you the most? There's probably a question, how to solve X problem, how to navigate this situation. If you've written out that email or recorded the loom or written out the instructions more than two or three times, just put that into an evergreen shareable form. It can be in public or even just saved in your notes. The next time someone asks you, be like, I'm happy to answer that question for you. It's so important for me to serve that need. I have prepared. I have taken the time to prepare a comprehensive, detailed instruction manual to help you. Here it is. 
And by the way, that's sharing that link is way faster than sitting there and recreating it from scratch. That's what I mean by a system. It's not this crazy mechanical device. It is just stepping back from the immediate demands that are being placed on you and asking how to solve problems once and for all in a way that they're solved forever, not just for the momentary demand. In business, running running companies, this is often what a business leader will do. They will go and they'll see something, they'll see a need, and then they will either create the system and write it down and all the steps and all different things. But sometimes it feels like a chore. Like, oh my gosh, I have to do this big thing, big project has to look a certain way. And what I love about this is it's your system. It's your thing. Somebody's asking a question or things are happening. Like if it happens a couple of times, don't worry about it having to be so perfect. Like you can just save it in a place, you know, you can find it and just, you can forward your email to Evernote. That was one thing I found. It's like, just forward the email where you responded. Like sometimes I'll do that into Evernote. And I'm like, oh, perfect. Now I have my response. And so in the future, when I, when I need that again, if I decide that it's going to come up more often, then I can formalize it at that time. But another concept that I love that you talk about is pushing out, making it all perfect and created perfect until right before you need it. Will you expound a minute on that? I think that's an important thing where we waste time sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Just to close out that loop, I'll often just BCC my second brain. Like if I'm sending you a great answer to a question, it doesn't even need to be a separate email, just in BCC. So the person won't even see this. They won't even know. I'm just firing off an extra little copy over here. I don't have to, I'm done with it. I don't have to do anything else with it. That's great. I'm totally going to do that now. That's a great idea. Yeah. So this, this is one of the more subtle ideas that in my book, I think I only treat it lightly because you kind of need a second brain to fully appreciate what is possible here. But I think we're, we're going through this transition as a, as a civilization, which is in the past, I always think of like the 1950s, we lived in a just-in-case world. Like the 20th century was a just-in-case world. Everything was just-in-case. Do your homework and get good grades to have a good college application, to go to college where you also get good grades and have a nice diploma and a good GPA. And at every stage, you know, you're asking your parents, well, why? Why am I doing all this? And the, the answer is basically, well, just in case, just in case you need it to get a good job, to have a good career, to work for a nice company, to have safety and security. Just in case is, is it's kind of like a fear and scarcity based mindset, first of all, right? Just in case spending your precious time now for future eventualities that may or may not ever arrive. It's a conservative mindset, but also it only works in a predictable world. Yeah, who are you creating it for? What circumstance, right? <laughs> you can do that if you know what's coming, right? And in the 20th century, you could, you could make a five-year plan, 10-year plan. You know, you'd probably be doing more or less the same thing at the end of your career that you were doing at the beginning, just more advanced. You could predict and plan. These days, that is all out the window. You can't even predict what you're going to be doing a year from now. At every level of society, from your personal life to your local community, to the climate, to politics, to culture, to international relations, every level of reality is now becoming unstable and chaotic, which is terrifying and scary and confronting. But as always, there's a silver lining, which is we get to have control. We get to have more agency and to determine our destinies in a way that was never possible before. And so the transition, I think, is from a just-in-case world to a just-in-time world. A just-in-time world, it's much more about being sensitive to the strategic opportunities that are emerging around you all the time. Not being attached to, oh no, I have my plan and I have to follow my exact plan, but being 
open and unattached and asking, I'm open to many pathways, many kinds of opportunities, because you never know. Someone could call you, you know, in an hour and say, Clint, I want you to give a presentation to executives at this pharmaceutical company. And you're like, I've never done that. I don't know how to do it. Maybe I've, I don't have anything prepared. Like that could be totally out of left field. But if you're open and fluid, this is really about fluidity, you might say yes. And just in time, pull from your notes, your second brain, a collection of slides, metaphors, examples, research, and in one or two days even, be able to put something together to, it's like you're leaping through that window of opportunity just in time, right before it closes. And that will honestly lead to some of the biggest milestones of your career and your business. Thank you for that great explanation, because it is amazing how much this system can bless your life if you actually capture it, capture the information and put it in a place where you can find it. And that's what I love is we're so often we're just capturing other people's ideas, which is a a wonderful part of the second brain is capturing those things to remember. But you talked about it earlier on capturing your own ideas that are unique to you and your view of the world. That is what I love because there truly is, and it's not just your mom that thinks so, right? That you are unique. You truly are. And that's what I love is being able to capture those things for myself has, for me, organizing this way has been an amazing thing to kind of see patterns in my own thinking and give me clarity on direction for what I want to do with my family or my business or even hobbies. It's very interesting how having this information in such a way and making decisions on some of that information has caused me to make different decisions in my life over the last few months. That's beautifully said. That's really what it is. Well, Tiago, this is fun. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I I really want to make sure that my listeners know where this is at, what they can do. So I'm going to add you know links in the show notes to everything. But one thing I love to ask anybody who comes on the show is, what would be your top action step for my listeners? What can they do that would impact their lives today? I would really encourage people to check out my introductory series. It's four really short, I think, 10-minute videos. They're very action-packed. We put a lot of effort into making them engaging and entertaining because those four videos will lead you through picking a notes app, determining your note-taking archetype, your personality, and then take you through a 30-day experiment to even, I would say, just do a test if this is even for you. I'm not going to stand up here and be like, no, this is the global universal solution to all problems and will usher in a new era of peace and prosperity for mankind. No, it's a solution to some problems for some people some of the time. So give it a test drive, see which parts of your life. Maybe there's only one project or one area of your life that you may want to apply this. That's fine too. And we've prepared this video guide for you to do that, which I encourage you to check out. Okay. So I'm going to put links to that series in the show notes, as well as a a link to your new book for people to be able to find that. And where else should people connect with you? Where's best for people to to follow you? Yeah. The best place is buildingasecondbrain.com. You can find information about the book, the course that I teach, but also our free podcast, also the plethora of free written content and visual content that we have on the blog. Buildingasecondbrain.com is the central hub of the second brain universe. Excellent. So fun. So exciting. Well, thank you so much for being here and congratulations on the success of your new book and look forward to speaking again. Thank you so much, Clint. Really appreciate it. And for all of you out there listening, now is the time for you to be the unrivaled leader and unrivaled man in your life. 
Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of the Unrivaled Man Podcast. I'm Clint Hoops, and if this show has impacted you, please share it with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts.